You're listening to the Sans Pants Network. Home of comedy, <laughs> culture, <laughs> adventures, and ghosts. I'm Cameron James and welcome to Total Reboot. Hello, I'm Cameron James and welcome to Total Reboot. Hello, I'm Cameron James and welcome to Total Reboot. That is a little gag about amnesia, which is a brain disorder. And if you find that stuff funny, you're going to love the flick that Alexi and I are talking about today. We are talking about 50 First Dates which is the second film in our Adam Loves Drew trilogy. Alexi, do you like movies that have jokes about amnesia? (laughs) Cameron, one of my greatest tragedies in my life, probably related to whatever mental illness I suffer from, is I like movies full stop no matter what happens in them. (laughs) No matter if they're making fun of people that should be respected in this world or otherwise, I am guaranteed to at least enjoy watching them. As long as there's a silver screen involved, you yes. have no qualms whatsoever. I respect the rectangle and no matter what it shows. <laughs> and you know what? We have two other film fanatics yes. on the podcast today. This is a first for us. It's yeah. normally just us. Normally just us. This is the first time we've ever had guests on this show. <laughs> and it couldn't be more appropriate for... We needed some of the biggest experts in the Sandler game to join us. And especially people that have lived 50 first dates themselves. People that have had to fall in love with Adam Sandler over 50 times <laughs> each and every week. We're joined by the worst idea of all time host, Tim Bat. Welcome to the show. First guest, first time. Such a pleasure to be here. Loved that gag at the start. Wow. And Guy Montgomery, welcome back to our beautiful podcast with warm, welcoming arms. Thank uh, thank you so much, Alexi and Cam. And hi, Tim. Great to see you. Yeah, good to see you, Guy. On a neutral territory, no less. (laughs) And this is exciting that you guys are meeting on our podcast because you can finally be honest with each other and air any grievances that you may have. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I don't want to do that um, right out of the gate, but it is Then nice. allow me. Okay. Here's the reason I've really enjoyed lockdown. I don't have to be in the physical presence of Guy Montgomery. Wow. I've, I've had this freedom for three months, and it has been a joy. <laughs> it's interesting you can find those little spots of freedom when it's all ripped away from you, which is something you know, you're probably quite passionate about. Some people believe that the, the lockdown has been a removal of freedom, but Alexi, as you say, for me, it has been truly the freest I've felt in eight years. Feels wholly inappropriate. The, the, the reason I reference the neutral zone is that you, this is the last place we should be bringing our dirty laundry. Oh, fuck. Sorry. This I misread. It's um, a washing podcast. It's a movie situation. podcast. Well, you are correct. We are talking about movies. And you guys, you've talked about movies in the past. You've talked about movies featuring Adam Sandler in the past. So I feel like I need to ask you both, and please be candid, be honest, be true. How do you feel about Adam Sandler these days? I think you should take this one, Guy. And I think you can speak on both of our okay. behalves because well, we've had so many convos about this. So this I, is a joint statement. Let the record show we yeah. are receiving a joint statement on this matter. Mm-hmm. I, I, love, I love Sandler. I love the wow. Sandman. 
Um, and I, th- I would like to think I always have. I'm sure there's a, a sort of cash cachet of uh, audio recordings <laughs> which say otherwise. But on the whole, sort of holistically, outside of those yeah. independent experiences, <laughs> I've always been a fan. He was a, a formative comedy actor uh, of my sort of teenage years. I remember like... One of the first movies I remember watching at home, we were we had very strict television rules in my house and we were allowed to watch one show a week during school school days and it was Friends, which was aired mm. on a Wednesday in New Zealand. Wow. Which and is about a group of friends that live in New York City, the Big right. Apple. It's important to provide context. <laughs> yeah, we, we, my tastes are skews a little obscure, so it's nice to have you on hand, Cam. <laughs> and... Uh, I was really excited when we started to watch this episode of Friends and our neighbors came, our bolshy neighbors came over, you know, when they weren't, when they weren't uh, kicking down the front door, they were, you bloody have to try and drag them out of the pantry. And they had a VHS of Happy Gilmore. And they said, we're wow. not watching Friends tonight. We're watching Happy Gilmore. And I kicked and I screamed and I fought it so hard. And then I watched it and like laughed as hard as I can remember laughing <laughs> in my entire life. And it sort of like set the set the bar for my relationship to him. And so from then until now, obviously there's been undulating highs and lows and his output, I re- almost respect how little wow. he cares about like, you know, mm. what, what how he's perceived. What, what guy and I, and actually my origin story, which I think, speaks a, a lot about me to Adam Sandler. And I only realized this recently is like, for some reason I had downloaded piece of shit car via LimeWire as a young <laughs> boy, like age 10 or 11 and had it on repeat. And people forget about his kind of career as a, almost a weird Al Yankovic counterpart. <laughs> who was doing sl- slightly grubbier parody songs, but he's got a raft of them. And um, piece of shit car was on a heavy rotate in my headphones. And, you know, obviously men of a certain age, as we are, we grew mm-hmm. up with Sandler and respected him. And then Guy and I started Worst Idea by watching Grown Ups 2 for a whole year, week after week. And so we hated him. But we've done a lot of research and figured out that his sort of production company and, and the, the scattershot, scattershot approach to just <laughs> finding a hot woman he wants to work with in a great location he'd love to holiday in and building a movie around it yeah. has supported all of these film career professionals, boom operators, makeup artists. He's built a whole production company and sustained their families with these terrible fucking movies. I'd actually quite... I'd just like to speak to what Tim said about the process of just finding a co-star and a location. There's something that is really like... um, I can't think of the sort of psychology terminology, but it's like... It's admirable because it's all about process. You know, Mm. like even if the movie comes out bad, you you cannot fault the process, which is like all about pure enjoyment of life. Yes, people are going to pay money hand over fist. You're going to disappoint, you know, hundreds, (laughs) Mm. thousands, potentially millions of punters. But that is a small price to pay to spend, I don't know, two months on Hawaii with Drew Barrymore. Yeah, you'll be happy to learn about this. This script was originally set in Seattle, and it was Adam's idea to move it to Hawaii. Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Seattle, we it's rainy, it's drizzly, it sucks there. Let's go to Hawaii and fucking chill out on the sun with you know Why Rob Seattle? Schneider and Brownface. That's a much better way to spend well, this. A few yeah, this movie makes no sense. Like this, if you're not on an island, this movie mm-hmm. ceases mm. to make any because you're sort of siloed off from civilized man. On yeah. 
with, yeah. with, with due respect to Hawaii and all of its citizens, if you put this in like just a metropolitan city, it feels way, way, way darker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially when they have a car crash trying to get a couple of pineapples together. <laughs> <laughs> so what I kind of love about the Sandman is that he goes to bat defending these films. The mm. shitter, the shit ones, the good ones. He genuinely loves making them all because he is making them with his friends. And I remember a year or so ago when there was all that Oscar buzz surrounding Uncut Gems. Uh, worthy Oscar buzz, I will say. Yes, absolutely. People were... Um, all the Every journalist that interviewed Adam, they, they seemed to be framing it around, you've finally made a good movie and you know from here on out, you'll only make good movies. And he would get really offended i remember him kind of going to bat and going look i'm proud of all of these movies i'm as proud of anger management as i am of uncut gems and as soon as i'm done with uncut gems i will make another one of these movies and true to his word hubie halloween came out a few months later and was probably the worst one that he's ever made i disagree i love hubie I, halloween look i love it too but it sucks ass. i watched hubie halloween when it's not even close to the holiday can I you... watched Chibi Halloween in like March as well. The most it recent... was a rewatch. The most recent one of those films that he's put out that I watched was the Ridiculous Six or whatever, mm. and that was I thought that was pretty bad. Can you yeah. sort of measure Hubie <laughs> Halloween against that? Is it better or oh, worse? Yes. It's far better. It's better. I would say it is up there for me as far as the recent Sandlers go. It is just ahead of the week of, which I also think is very good, and leaps and bounds ahead of Murder Mystery, uh, which is just a little bit lower than Sandy Wexler, I would say. <laughs> I, man, I completely disagree. I love Sandy Wexler. I think it's <laughs> wow. genius. I love that it's three hours long. And uh, <laughs> it's a three-hour-long comedy. Cameron. It's you not even... Epic. It's not even dramatic. A three-hour-long comedy. It's crazy. Is it really? Yeah. It's about that long. It's so Everyone long. in cinema refers to movies being like as big as Ben-Hur, which is, I'm pretty sure, just another three-hour movie. So why people could be saying it's a Sandy Wexler. Now, yeah, Sandy they Wexler. say it's as unwieldy as Wexler now. That's the new parlance. <laughs> oh, boy. But I'm Do you very... know, I... I reviewed uh, Hubie Halloween for a film uh, website in New Zealand. I can't remember a damn thing about that movie. <laughs> I could probably perform it for you now. Close to word for word verbatim. Wow. It's about a guy who doesn't like... Ha oh, no, he does like Halloween. I actually can't remember. What is well, it about? He has conflicted emotions around Halloween, which is why so a lot of things excitement from the film. He's neither pro-Halloween or anti-Halloween. But anyway, they built a movie around this character. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really hoping for Hubie Hanukkah surprise announcement for the end of the year. All the diehard 51st Dates fans are going to be screaming into their headphones saying, talk about the movie. Shut the but, fuck oh, up. Stop thankfully, about they've presumably got amnesia, so they've already forgotten that we haven't <laughs> that started yet. That is true. I'm, we will focus I'm almost on. holding off from putting about the talking about the movie. This is a movie very near and dear to my big, old, voluptuous heart, and I had just finished watching it again. Uh, this morning, moments before we started recording today. Whoa. So I am fresh off yeah. some and tears. I've cried Alexi I've cried already this morning. So you need to talk me through this because I, I tweeted out last night as I was watching it before I went to bed, which is how I recommend you end any day. Yeah. Um, it's chucking Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore film on. I think yeah, I an important part of that is also to tweet the experience. 
Yeah, you have to just do that on your own. Rather time. than absorb the film, yeah. it justifies it in some way. It makes it a text right off in your brain. I don't know. It's like it's something. But I see that like eighty-five percent of the movies I'm watching these days are forced on me by a um a podcast. You mm. mentioned what this was, Alexa. You revealed that this this is far from your first watch of this film. Yeah, and um and that you have this incredibly emotional response, and mm. I. Cannot wait to hear the trigger moments for you on when the waterworks start. Yeah, I'm the because... water boy watching this movie. This, you know, <laughs> just can't help but let that Gatorade pour out of my head. I'm baffled. As Where it, is this resonating? As an outsider, as someone who was looking forward to taking part in this conversation, I watched Tim's tweet and then I logged it that I'd watched this on Letterboxd after I finished it last night and saw that Alexia had written, like, a very touching and heartfelt <laughs> tribute to the movie. Really? And I just could not be more excited to see you guys go toe-to-toe. This oh, and exciting. also, Guy, it was like five months ago. It was the last time I, I, know, I logged it. was super it. recent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say we dive right in because we've clearly got some uh, combative emotions going on here, and I don't know if I don't know where I stand on it yet. Guy, maybe you don't know either. Pretty so neutral. So this is going to be a bit of a journey. <laughs> okay, podcast over. We know where Guy is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive in. Dr. Henry Roth's best relationships were with his patients, and he wasn't looking to settle down. But one day, the unthinkable happened. Blinded by the light, wrapped up like a dick. Are you staring at me or her? Because you're starting to freak me out. Henry C. Oh, Henry Roth. Nice to meet you. Lucy was in a terrible car accident. She lost her short-term memory. She won't remember him tomorrow. You and I are actually seeing each other. Don't worry, you're not going to suffer any short-term memory loss. But was your head shaped like an egg before she hit you? 51st Date, starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. And now, of course, it is time for our very famous segment on this podcast, Love That Logline, where Alexi will find a synopsis from somewhere around the internet read it out to me, Guy, and Tim, and we will decide whether we rate it or hate it. This one comes from imdb.com. It is a user-submitted review, and this one was flagged by the admins at IMDb for possible spoilers. So it was in a sealed section available on the page for synopsises and uh, summaries on the profile for 51st States, the 2004 Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore romantic comedy directed by Peter Siegel. And here is it as follows. Henry Roth, played by Adam Sandler, is a wildlife veterinarian in Hawaii who meets Lucy Whitmore, Drew Barrymore, a woman who has a short-term memory loss from an auto accident a year earlier. Henry is a ladies' man on the island who has been breaking the hearts of female tourists for years. That's actually false. There's one man in a montage who's hardy broke as Yeah, well. I want to focus on that, but we'll yes. get back to that. Let's put a pin in that. Henry meets Lucy at a local cafe and takes her out on a date. Henry falls in love with Lucy, but there is one problem when she awakens in the morning. She can't remember him or anything that happened that day. 
Henry must devise a plan to meet Lucy every day and try to get her to fall in love with him again and again. Douglas Young, a.k.a. the movie guy. Whoa, the movie <laughs> guy review. Gone himself the movie guy. <laughs> Holy that, shit. They put that in the Cosmo Sexy Sealed section? Yeah. I mean, it was sexy a little bit. There was all that talk of Henry Roth betting tourists. I don't know about yeah. you guys, but I got fucking thick and hard and wet hearing all about that. <laughs> well, it, it, do you know what it's done for me? It's emboldened me. I made an omelette yesterday and there was mushrooms, capsicum, white and red onion inside wow. of it. And so from henceforth, I would like to be referred to as the food guy. <laughs> the food guy. All right. Unfortunately, you've been donned the omelette boy. So <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so there was a detail in that that I, I rate, which is um, actually it's a detail you added, Alexi, which is that in the montage of all the people that Henry Roth has bedded and wooed. And, uh, and by the way, a regular gag of Sandler is that he, his characters have fucked old women at some point. Mm. It's like a go-to joke he for likes him. It. Um, but one of them is Kevin James. So do we think that canonically Henry Roth is bisexual in this film? In my heart of hearts, I dream that this is a canonically bi portrayal. I, I, yeah. I think he is bisexual because the, the opening montage of the movie lays out... Um, exactly how he sort of seduces and mm-hmm. spends time with these people and it, it it tends towards more than just like a one of this is my mm. interpretation at least it feels yeah. like he winds and di- he like romances them a little bit he really yes. lays it all on knowing full well he's got the ripcord of you know whatever far-flung excuse he makes at the end of their yeah. holiday i think he's a self-loathing bisexual man yeah and i think there's enough sort of homophobia and transphobia on display to recognize the fact that he is not in any way made his peace with the fact that he is sexually attracted to dudes. Exactly, exactly. Because it colored my viewing of the movie, that opening montage. And I know it's written in there as a throwaway gag that they thought, oh, it'll be funny. We'll chuck Kevin James in the montage. Yeah, he can deliver the word with a beautiful comedic riff. But I... Definitely, it coloured my viewing where I thought, okay, this guy's bi. And then I'll watch the movie thinking that this guy's bi. So what and- did that change for you, Cam? Like, did you, were you sort of more forgiving of his sexual escapades and throwing other bit. people's I emotions? Bit, I was kind of a bit like, wow, what a progressive move for this movie. Mm-hmm. And then I was shocked by how, uh, with the disregard that he treated his little assistant at the zoo, I think it's important to mention, sorry, 2004 was the year of release for this. 2004. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know if he is canonically gay, but I think, or bi, but I think it's, um, you know, it's fascinating to think about. It's also, (laughs) I understand the idea of the montage and obviously it had a huge impact on the way you watch the film cam and Mm. an incredible insight into how you conduct your life, which appears to be filing away people's sexuality so you can put them (laughs) in context. I have a spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet. (laughs) Cameron, don't forget to file him under the hairy balls category, also revealed in the same part of the montage. (laughs) Don't worry, that that also coloured my viewing of the film as well. The movie functions without knowing that he's, you know, that he wines and dines and fucks and sucks all of these uh, holiday makers (laughs) Like, I, I feel so like true. it actually didn't really inform the movie that, that came oh, after it's, it. It's such a Sandler thing, though, isn't it? Mm. It's like everyone in that montage bar, Kevin James, is a very beautiful woman. Including his, mm. his very wife. 
Yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. Who plays a Once... dentist in that montage, and mm. she is fixing the teeth of the director, Peter Siegel's wife, who in real life is a dentist. Yes, I've watched this movie with audio commentary on as well. <laughs> I watched this with our Amazon's X-ray feature, and not even wow. they got into that level of depth. <laughs> Dude, lose the X-ray, get with the Lex-ray. Yeah, I got oh, it. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> Fuck. I can't remember what I would say. <laughs> well, you were saying it's a very Sandler trope to make him sort of. Oh, the, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, and I mean, I can't. So once you know, because Adam Sandler um, puts his wife in a lot of these movies that he's in, she, she's she's an actor and she's very good. But once you know that it's his wife, you're, the idea keeps persisting and rattling around in your brain. How does she feel about the fact that he keeps casting these other women as being obviously kind of the trophy, mm. you know, mm. um, pinnacle of a man's existence, according to Adam Sandler, by reading his filmography, is to get the hottest woman you can to have sex with you. And he has never ranked his wife that highly. <laughs> She's always some no. ancillary character um, some somewhere in the montage, you know, what? but he's trying to attain... I would uh, Drew Barrymore status. I, I would like to count to this point. I think that Adam and his family have a, a deep understanding of the business mechanics of Hollywood, mm. and I feel like the counterpoint to this would be you could you could go the other way and you could star against your wife, which might lead you to the sort of real Rob realm of content creation, <laughs> where you're acting mm. in these semi autobiographical, self funded sitcoms. Mm. I. And like the you know the 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 you reckon Jackie's smarter than this? She knows the biz. I, she gets. I like to yeah, think what's so. Up. I feel that, but I did also when I, like the chemistry between Drew Barrymore and and this is the second, um, like in terms of chronology, this is the second, second time in the they, triptych. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know there was three. Oh what yeah. What are what are the movies? What was the first one? Wedding, Wedding Singer. Singer. Uh, oh, of course. Then this right. one, and then Blended. Yeah. I thought that their chemistry was so good. Like I, I really, mm. really enjoyed their time on screen together, especially in the when on the Groundhog Amnesia days when it was going well. To mm. the point that I did then worry for Jackie, where I was like, "This." I mean, obviously they're both professional actors, but I really bought in at the at the highs of the movie. Yeah. I was like, "These guys are a match made in Hawaiian heaven." It is oh, beautiful. Nice. They are uh, Drew Barrymore has described them as cinematic soulmates, mm-hmm. and uh, I think there's a couple of moments in this movie that really like highlight that for me. There's the first time they meet, the meet cute, where she's fucking around with her knife or whatever, and it shines light in his eyes, and he's drawn to her. That's I buy that as a really like sweet meet cute in a rom com, and then there's a later moment when. Uh, he's, you know, in the, in the like ritual of wooing her and uh, dating her and <clears throat> they have a moment in the afternoon sun <gasps> together. Oh my God, Cameron, that's one of my cry points. <laughs> he says, uh, he's, he, he's so sweet in that moment and she's mm. so funny too. And he's like, you think it's going to be romantic? He's like, you know, I got to tell you in the afternoon sun, you look absolutely hideous. And they both start ragging on each other and shitting. And I was just like, whoa, these guys are in love. I'm believing it. This is actual love I'm witnessing. That moment, Cameron, is is way up there. Excuse me if there's a crack in my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, please. Um, 
that moment <laughs> is transcendent to me. Where we have the afternoon sun. It's the first time they've ever spent a freaking afternoon together. And the cinematography in that moment, there's like this beautiful <laughs> orange glow to everything when the sun is coming down. And then when he says to her, oh, you look hideous in the afternoon, she looks like a freaking angel sent from heaven. Like, that's proper movie star <laughs> moment where, like, her hair is all golden in the light and it's, like, flickering through it. And the cinematographer on this movie, they made, like, a big effort. This was a this was something led by Drew Barrymore to... They really wanted this to look not like a comedy. They wanted to make it look like a big, uh, like, dramatic film. So they got uh, a cinematographer on this called Jack N. Green, who is best known as Clint Eastwood's cinematographer, who has mm. shot... Uh, one of the most beautiful romantic movies ever, The Bridges of Madison County, but also Unforgiven, Bird, Rambo 3 is one of his other movies. <laughs> right up there. <laughs> but uh, after this, he would go on and do m- many more comedies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin and, of course, one of your favourite films, Cameron, Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> 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 that really caught came off guard. <laughs> really? I didn't know what you were going to say. And Hot Tub Time Machine are the four words that I l- probably least expected to hear. <laughs> but the whole, um, I don't know if you guys have brought up the concept of magic hour on the podcast mm. before, but when you watch Adam Sandler films, as many times as Guy and I have, you delve into all these avenues of filmmaking and start discovering these tricks. And there is a particular color temperature that can be achieved at the hours of dusk and dawn. Yeah. Mm. And it's this beautiful the Robert Rodriguez hue. Style. Yeah. And it's it it genuinely, um, you know, in the biz, they know this. Mm. And, and or, unassuming audiences, we get swept up in the sort mm. of romantic package of all of these elements put together. But when you start deconstructing what's actually going on, that just shooting a beautiful woman such as uh, Drew Barrymore at 5.30 light mm. in the summer and on Hawaii, like that, that, the natural <coughs> lighting is going to do a lot of the work for you. Yeah, that is true. And that's what they don't want you to know. That's the Yeah, that's real behind the scenes. I, I, but I will say Adam does bring it in that scene. They both bring it yeah. in that scene. There's just, like, there is, they're, both just, they're both very, very talented comedic actors. And like the issue with a lot of these sort of, I don't want to call it a throwaway movie, but the, the you know, the more... Um, broad Adam Sandler comedies is that very rarely do they does he put the time in it like conception mm. you know I feel like he comes up with the idea and then they built and they come up with it once they talk about it once and then they build around it so it's very really tonally even enough or like to to mm. carry but when when they're both firing and there are scenes that are written very well as as in this I totally buy in Tim's shaking his okay. head because I, I know I'm in the minority here. I've, I've been outnumbered. <laughs> but the whole movie, I think I was seeing what you three gentlemen were seeing, but I contextualized it completely differently. Because the thought that kept running through my head last night when I saw it was, man, Drew Barrymore is so good at acting. Yeah. <laughs> that she could find this romantic, sustained love with this piece of shit Adam <laughs> well, Sandler Adam's, Adam's characters are consistently a piece of shit but they're the sort I of guy put- that if you were you know if you're friends with them in high school and you're still friends with them now <laughs> all is forgiven but if you meet them as an adult you think how the fuck are you waltzing through life like this 
Yeah, I laid yeah. I laid everything at Drew's feet for yeah. this. I really did. Well, she she elevates it. I think if this was a film starring one of his other regular co-stars, even someone as talented as Jennifer Aniston, mm. it would not. I don't think it would rise to whatever level it hits. Now, for me, I'm a big wedding singer fan. I've gone on record. I, I put that in my top five forever. Um, this movie comes nowhere near the wedding singer <laughs> level for me. It's not. Now hold on, just to clarify, top five movies, top five Adam Sandler's, top five movies, Tim. Yeah. Wow, yeah. and that includes films as well, and that yeah. includes cinema. And Jesus. flicks and movies. We've got and two of five, including Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Fascinating <laughs> to know what rounds that out, but that's a Would different conversation. Would it surprise <laughs> either of you to learn that um, there is another Adam Sandler movie in my top five and, and also a Mike Myers movie? Wow. So that's who I am as a fella. <laughs> so, but uh, to me, this... I've got to know before we move on. Is yeah. it Uncut Gems? Yeah, or it's is un- it... Uncut Gems. Okay, so and yeah, that Shrek the Third? <laughs> yep, Shrek. <laughs> Shrek the Halls, actually. The, um, it's a short the, film set at short Christmas. Short film. <laughs> so this, uh, this movie never quite reaches the heights of it. I, I think it's maybe... It, it goes too broad for my personal tastes. Like, there's the scene early on where... The fucking walrus vomits all over his assistant, and tell us about the assistant, Cam. I feel like this is a stuff. kind of crucial bit of coloring, yeah. the movie, you know, and and also I think it's a very informative landmark for the fact that this came out in two thousand four. Mm. I mm. think is represented all in the relationship around T- this. Assistant. Tim's out for blood. He wants to bury this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to leave. I can't <laughs> this. Well, yeah, that that whole element is pretty. It doesn't hold up at all. Um, and then there's the other sort of like little gag about a transgender person later on in the flick as well. And then on top of all of that, you get Rob Schneider, who I think is, and you guys have talked about him at length. I think when he wants to be, he is a sensational supporting actor and, and he can like really elevate a supporting role to a good comedy, like height. But unfortunately... <laughs> what we wow. norm that normally comes hand in hand with him doing a crazy accent and like using prosthetics to make himself look a different race. Yes, and almost know. universally until the year two thousand and fifteen, <laughs> oh, where he got it's, enough feedback online to okay. go, oh, maybe this isn't viable. It's, going it's really important right now that I read a paragraph from Alexi's letterbox review of Fifty First Dates, which oh, is thank you for not making me read it myself. As I- follows. <laughs> Performance of Schneider's career. (laughs) Insane, over-the-top weirdo character that he somehow finds a way to breathe life into to find something deeper than a one-note sketch inhabitant. Well, you have to imagine me writing this while crying. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do love him, and anytime he's got a small part in something, I... Love it. I love him in Home Alone 2 and, um, yes. you know, Big Daddy and stuff. He's always enjoyable. But I feel like when he gets just a bit too much screen time, like in this movie, I see, like, he's enjoying playing a caricature too much and it feels mean <laughs> or something, you know? I think he's yes, sweet abs- in this movie. It's... Yeah. I think Alexi- Cam, I so know what you what you're talking about. So, like, I guess, and 
I feel like um, there's so many cultural conversations that have happened. We all do comedy, you know, so we sort of uh, interrogate this line a lot and are involved with the conversations around it of trying to map this graph. And Schneider, I feel like, is the perfect dude (laughs) to try and, like, observe and see what is comedy and what is acceptable, what Mm -hmm. is walking up to the line, what is passing it. I think you could form a bit of an equation just by looking at Schneider's received performances divided by on-screen minutes and find an optimum amount of time. (laughs) And maybe that... That ratio has has differed through the years <laughs> as to what is sort of the acceptable acceptable amount of a bit part character playing a different nationality. How much to play up that different nationality? Mm, Why, well, if 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 you'd watched his um, Netflix stand up special, uh, Asian mom and Mexican kids, Tim, named so because of his his mama and his own kids, you would well know that I. Uh, as a biracial man himself, he has permission to, to cross all cultural barriers without fear of retribution or judgment. I think it's quite like insane to judge someone like Rob Schneider, who clearly doesn't even engage in the idea of where a line yeah. is or yeah. appropriate yeah. behavior like against someone who's trying to judge where he lands on that spectrum. I'd love it's to- like calling a kid. Blind to class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alexi, I'd love to hear, because obviously it sounds like you wrote that in a, an emotional rapture, but I would love to yeah. hear on your most recent viewing, you know, up against what these guys think, how you interpreted mm. Rob's performance. I think it's funny. i'm charmed by him in this movie because you know this is what he does this is what rob does he does insane characters Mm. but to me i think that there is there is more depth to the way that he plays something like this than if it were to say be other sandler regulars like a nick swardson you know yeah i hate to Mm -hmm. shit on a guy but nick swardson does not have the ability to portray any kind of human life. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know about that. He's, well, he's turned in a couple of funny performances. And Alexi in hates to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know Let what me you mean, you, though. Because me to say something like that. What was the Lauren Lapkus um, The wrong film? Missy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the wrong. So I don't know what you mean because they're both. And that mm-hmm. and oh, doesn't Schneider? He almost plays the same type of character in that, right? He's the same exact dude. Like, yeah. it, t- t- to be honest, it could canonically be <laughs> the exact same character and tie the cinematic universe together. But Nick Swardson in that is playing not a huge divergence from. He's just like a random guy in an office who's annoying. He's a horny nerd, right? a horny dork, or whatever. Like, yeah, and he's just annoying but not believable. Whereas Alexei. I, I'm 100% on your side in wow, terms of the you. deliverance of a performance mm-hmm. in these movies. Like, I buy... He's so psychotic. Like, the more... Guy and I did a miniseries watching his recent special and kind of got into the weeds on what makes this guy tick. Mm. I, I interviewed him, actually, on a radio station about 10 years ago wow. and spoke at length about his um, Buddhist practice, which I found fascinating to no end. But hmm. the guy is thick as hell and kind of crazy. Mm. And that lends itself to just losing your whole shell of who you are and embodying a character. Mm. Yeah. Swartzen can't do that. And I think there's no, a no sweetness way. to him, the way that he plays with the kids, that I hate to say it, Swartzen would never be able to capture that 
at all that <laughs> You've really got yeah. it out for swords and this, he's not even in this movie. <laughs> I, I hate doing it. I really, let me tell you, it kills me inside to say something like that. To say something but, mean about Nick Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that he plays with the kids and those child actors, I think is really special in kind of bringing this character to be more than just the jokes that he is. There is a life within Ulu or Ula the <laughs> The, the cycloptic friend of Adam Sandler's character Henry Roth in this movie. I like his I like his uh, through line about how sharks are all good. Yeah, and yeah. all that all that material is like sharks are fine, man. Stop worrying about yeah. sharks; they're like dogs. And it has he he is one of the uh, the the arbiters of one of the most classic Sandler style gags. Cam and I have been discussing about how a lot of Sandler movies climax at a public event where there has to mm. be a speech of some kind, whether it be an auction, a will reading, yep. a court case, a of graduation some kind. ceremony. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And in this film, we have a wedding in a, some kind of form of climax here, and. Uh, Ulu is playing the is playing the uh, celebrant who is marrying Drew and Adam, and then he makes a joke about like, "Oh yeah, you sure you want to get married? Even though one day you could end up with a ugly old wife of some kind." <laughs> Alexi, I'm sorry, but this is where I have to stop you because this is important to the character that San- that uh, Schneider is portraying. He says that not he doesn't deliver it as a joke. Mm-hmm. Like the character <laughs> is so taken aback by the fact that. Um, what's what's Adam Sandler's character's name? In Henry Roth. Roth. Come he on, he is so he is a marriage celebrant on on a Hawaiian island, mm-hmm. and is so taken aback that his friend Henry would enter into a, a, a contract of matrimony at the risk of having a woman that would age out of sexual attractiveness mm-hmm. to him, and says all of this out loud. This is an inner monologue that he projects onto the <laughs> wedding crowd. But convic- not as a gag, as like, I'm really reckoning days. with this. Yeah. And that's the difference. If he was making a light joke about the concept of that, that's one thing. But to be purely taken aback by someone who's getting married <laughs> as you're marrying them, that's a whole other character. Yeah. <laughs> and we have that classic Sandler cutaway gag to the wife in the audience giving him the finger. That's yeah. proper. That's, that's a like Sandler a- gag. That's a staple stuff. Dude. That's a staple gag. Sandler, like I, I, I kept thinking back to the scene that someone referenced earlier. That one of the opening gambits where there's the gross out, the walrus vomits mm. all over the assistant's face, and he sort mm. of, and then he laughs, and he then he can fight. Like there's a real sense of um him letting you in on the joke, and he uses mm. different characters or like you know in this instance animals because he's a vet to do it. But there's a real sense of conspiratorial like ha, ha, you know we knew that you were going to vomit all over the assistant he's always whispering to the camera absolutely using someone. <laughs> no, yeah. it's kind of one of my favorite uh sandler isms is that everyone he's best friends with everyone and they yeah. all think he's fucking hilarious even in this movie like the penguin and the walrus yeah. and the dolphins are like his buddies that he can talk to and they understand yeah. him and stuff yeah wish it's they did great. more movies together <laughs> Yeah. yeah, instead of Swardson, let's get yeah. that little fucking penguin back, huh? Now, it would be crazy if we just talked about Rob Schneider for this entire episode. We haven't even talked about the titular 51st dates mm. of this flick yet. Um, I I got to tell you, I kind of, I, I think I hadn't seen this full movie. I'd maybe seen part of it when I was younger. I couldn't remember most of the back half of the movie, but... 
I I actually really started to warm up to this movie during that whole Groundhog Day mm. um, moment where he's going to these elaborate lengths just to talk to her for 10 minutes at a time and all that kind of stuff. I think, and it took about an hour to get there or maybe 40 minutes. But by the time we got to that segment, I kind of thought, oh, this is the movie I wanted it to be, mm. where it is just sweet and kind of not laugh out loud funny, but like, you know, like cute funny. Yeah. I kind of really enjoyed and it. it. And I particularly enjoyed the sequence where uh, Drew Barrymore beats the shit out of Rob Schneider um, <laughs> with Truly a baseball great. bat. Yeah. I, I, think, I think if you if you didn't enjoy that scene, you don't have a heart or a brain. That's yeah, a so fucking great sequence. Nick Swartzton would be someone, and I hate to say it, that might not enjoy that scene. <laughs> How do we? What do you mean? How do you With know the, he wouldn't enjoy that scene? Well, Tim said he had no heart or brain, so you know, I hate to say it, but it made me think of a particular actor out there. Would that scene work if it was uh, Nick Swartzen being uh, beat down with a baseball bat? I would hate to say this, you know, that gives me no joy or pleasure to say this, but I think it would be better because I read that Drew Barrymore actually was hitting Rob Schneider and it did hurt. Oh, wow. So They're both committed to the craft. Knowing but it I was Nick Swartzen would, would serve you even better <laughs> in enjoying the scene. And just, but it gives me no I, pleasure to say it out loud, but it would I, make I want to just describe the setup to, to that moment because this does show you that the film does comedy competently. Like mm-hmm. it knows, you know, it's it. Fucking Adam Sandler knows how to make a joke. Thank you. Yeah. So he's setting up this structure and comedic rubric where he's, he's, um, figuring out different angles of which and which one will work because he's got the benefit of every day being Groundhog Day and being reset, what will be the most effective and good way to kind of get in this woman's good graces as quickly as possible to strike up a conversation and allow the two of them to fall in love? And he sets up a scene where Rob Schneider is attacking him and and then she would sort of help him out so that they could join up that way. And uh, she responds by just fucking walloping the guy <laughs> with a steel baseball bat. And it's, it's, you love to see it. It's really yeah. good. And I think what I love about that whole sequence and that whole stretch of the film that kind of carries on to the ending is that um, it's a story now about devotion and mm. how far you will go to like prove that you love someone. And I think that's an incredibly sweet thing that we we don't really see in rom-coms. The rom-com is mainly about the meet cute and about yeah. like can, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets can, girl back. But, yeah. Can I say that, is, that's that often because um one of the two central characters doesn't have doesn't amnesia. Have amnesia so does not have amnesia. <laughs> that is a key element guy. But I also think that it's a very unique uh thing in the rom-com that I I find kind of mm. sweet because that's what happens when you get older is you you now are looking for ways to continually show your partner that you love them rather than just mm. woo them in one grand gesture. That's and, true. Uh, and that's where I have to join Alexi and say that a couple of times in this film, in the back half, <gasps> I teared up wow. and I found myself deliberately looking around the room so that I wouldn't be looking at the screen so that mm. I wouldn't cry. 
The rectangle wow. can betray you in that way if you stare at it too much. <laughs> <laughs> I started. What your moments? What your moments? Okay, the first, the big moment is probably when he makes her that videotape <gasps> for the first time. Oh my god! Which yep. gets her up to date with everything she's missed in the last year. Truly and also beautiful, tells her that he magical, her. romantic. I'll, I will confess ever. to goosebumps. Wow! Mm. Mm. God, guy just lifted up a book. Why R.L. Stein and confessed that he did, swore on that book that he did feel Like a something. senator would enter Congress on a Bible. Guy put his hand on Welcome to the Spook House, yeah. Volume 2. <laughs> Pledged his allegiance yeah, to the Yeah, I, I, it got me. And then I think by the last sort of, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so, mm-hmm. I was pretty emotionally invested in this movie that I'd written off early. And uh, and especially by the end, which is an incredibly bittersweet mm. ending, I wasn't expecting that. I think I thought they would do the cop-out thing of just curing her amnesia somehow. I was surprised that they decided to end it on this semi-tragic, semi-romantic note of he just has to do this every day and they have a fucking kid now. Yeah. And every day she has to meet her kid for the first time. It was it was affecting me, i I got to tell you. Wow, Cameron, I got a chill just then hearing you talk about this. This, um, To me, this is why I love this movie. This, I will admit to it now, allow me to pick up a copy of R.L. Stein's... <laughs> Shocker on Shock Street. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I'm really... Um, I think this is one of my favourite romantic comedies of all time because of the subversions of the genre and how it plays beautifully into like their chemistry together. And I think part of it for me is that you talked about like he is about that devotion thing like he's completely devoted to her and even like subverts that groundhog day idea where there's an unpredictable human nature to it it's not history repeating itself every day it's not the same day playing forward every time it is she's human she's gonna have different reactions every day she's gonna wake up every morning feeling a little bit different no matter what happens and he has to like keep playing with that and keep devoting himself to that and then when we have like the classic turn in a rom-com is when there's like a breakup. There's a reason for them to split apart. I think to for that to be about her, his devotion to her and her needing to become devoted to her own future and to like somehow like getting something better and not being a burden in his life, even though it's something that he still loves doing. That is a big cry moment for me when they have that breakup. And that's something that usually in a romantic comedy, you're kind of just like, oh, this is this is just feels like a contrivance of plot. To me, this feels like the plot coming alive with like the two characters actually being in their own arcs rather than being like stuck together by the contrivances of a romantic comedy. I mean, we're really getting into the gears of the movie now, but I think why it's different in this movie is because it's not from a selfish place. It's not from a place of self-preservation. It's from a selfless place of she is ending the relationship on the other person's benefit. Yeah. But you guys are fucked in the head because I feel like you have been drawn in so much by all of the elements of, of, you know, sweetness and, okay, sure, look. You're ignoring the complications of the scenario here. And we and you were talking about the ending, and the ending is what really drove home to me the fucked nature of this whole premise. And there was something about it that I just went, why would you explore such a morally complicated issue in an Adam Sandler-led rom-com? 
Because here's the <laughs> dilemma that you've got. Adam Sandler is, first of all, set up in the opening minutes of the film to be an absolute philanderer who cares about no one but himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he gets is his a very choice. You know, he could have just been a loser. Like he does it Just mm. don't have the sequence where he is tricking women into having sex with him who come to Hawaii for a holiday constantly. Just to, leave to it his out. credit, Save he's not the tricking cat. them into having sex with them. He's tricking them that he's... He n- literally... Gives them a drink at the start, which he leads them to believe is alcoholic, so it will allow them to enter into holiday mode. Mm. However, not intoxicate them to the point where they will fall asleep (laughs) and be unable to perform sexual acts with him. That's revealed later. I feel like the trickery is in... Pretending that he's he's he always has a different identity at the end of anyway. This is all by the by. Sorry, continue, Tim. My larger point is this. It is a very complicated issue to get a woman who has recurring daily amnesia, who you constantly Please, have to... Goldfinch syndrome. Thank you. Goldfinch. Goldfinch syndrome. It is a... Um, it's a hell of a thing to know what makes a person tick and then sort of romantically attack that vulnerability every day where they have no defense against it. It raises a lot of questions. Uh, now, they play with the line through the movie. I could accept that that bit is kind of sweet, maybe. But the ending of this film is Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore with a brood of children on a fucking boat in the middle of it's the ocean. one child, please. And her father sorry, is there. Sorry, I genuinely thought there was more. So with accuracy. Her father is I, there I'm as well, sorry. to be fair. Yes. I'm, I, might, I might be tying this into Rob Schneider's character who has a bevy of children <laughs> that love doing jumps off wharfs through Abelie. Yes, so they've got do. a kid. And it just raises so many questions about the nature of consent and agreeing to have a child and then every day having to be brought up to speed with where you are and what you've signed up to. And then the kid exists bringing a person into the world and and, and that family dynamic and then putting the whole situation on a fucking yeah, boat. She can't where You're not only <laughs> in prison by your own sort of mental illness born of physical trauma, but you are imprisoned by the ocean. But Tim, you're not... Taking into account the fact that she dreams about him. That means that on some molecular level, deep down, she is in love with him and she remembers This is important him. and you should maybe, for those who aren't going to see the film, and I, it's not a big recommend from me, <laughs> maybe explain what, that's, what that scene's all about. Because you're right, that does go some way to justify that. I think that, that helps get me over the line with it because I did sort of, I found the ending emotional just because she has to meet her child's again every day um that that idea makes me tear up even thinking about like fuck what a tragedy but also very nice that he um that they found this way to make it work and i think the fact that she the implication through she's remembering details about him in her subconscious and kind of remembering his face and she doesn't know why i think that makes it it's got that magic rom- rom-com element to it that I can come around to. There is a Promethean dilemma about empowering <laughs> so much force onto such an unable vehicle that is Adam Sandler <laughs> to grapple with these questions. It's not just Adam Sandler. It's Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Okay. I trust Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I do. And that might be because I fell into a hole of watching um, Santa Clarita Diet. Yeah, I watched Because I fell too. in love with her on-screen chemistry with Tim uh, Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. Me too. I fucking loved them together in that. Great show. Mm. <laughs> I just think 
I hear everything you're saying, Tim, and they're in- incredibly valid points, but you're almost at risk of not meeting the movie on its terms, which is mm. not to explore the like the obvious moral complications of Adam Sandler's womanizer deciding to pursue a woman with daily amnesia. It's a me- yeah. it's a mechanic for like the move, and this is what Cam was talking about, which is the movie that you're buying a ticket to see, and the way it's marketed and sold is like they have to go on a lot of dates to establish chemistry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would also say um, this, you also forgot the biggest thing. This is fake belief, dude. This is just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you boys were looking at different rectangles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to know something, Alexi? You got me there, man. It's make-believe. It's magic. You go into a dark room, you stare at an illuminated wall for 1.45 hours, and you Mm -hmm. just soak yourself in, allow yourself, Tim, to escape into the magical realm known as cinema. And if you do that, you shall be swept away on one of life's greatest journeys, a journey into art and empathy. I, I find it wholly impossible to argue against that. <laughs> so yeah. in Alexi's world, obviously a movie cannot be bad. Yeah, um, it's pretty tough. <laughs> it's pretty tough. I just I, I think we should also discuss some of the supporting cast. Adam Sandler, obviously, he always like there's almost a equal treatment. He populates half of the supporting characters with his old friends, your Peter Dante's, mm-hmm. your Alan Coverts, mm-hmm. and then he yeah. always seems to rope in a handful of like I don't know if these guys were all. A-list at the time, 2004. But like Sean Astin, mm. uh, Dan Aykroyd has a pretty meaty cameo. Yeah. Um, yeah, Blake yeah. Clark plays Drew Barrymore's dad, who's like, love I thought was re- I thought it was a Blake fantastic Clark. dad. And then mm. oh my God, Maya Rudolph dads. is given like A-line yeah. on A-Beach, yeah. which felt crazy <laughs> out of place. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But like, what That's did you true. guys make of all of like, the, the surrounding characters and the supporting cast? I think they add beautiful color to this rectangle <laughs> that I find stunning. I yeah, I'm with you there. I kind of like uh, that he manages to convince someone who's maybe a bit above mm. the Happy Madison station to lower themselves to do a silly cameo, like whether it's Steve Buscemi as Crazy Eyes in Mr. Deeds or Sean Astin, who I guess was coming off Lord of the Rings. Mm. playing this, in one of the biggest movies of all yeah, time. Yeah, playing this like steroid meathead lisping character. You can see, um, you can see I'm into that. Sean Astin's like, this is this was, I guess, what, one that was for him and also for, for the box office. Because like, if yeah. you've just spent all of this time filming this epic in New Zealand, so do you want to go mm. and pretend to be someone addicted to steroids on Hawaii for a couple of months? Sure. Yeah. yeah How could you say no? And Pretty I think nice. Dan Aykroyd adds a certain um, like gravitas or something mm. through his comedy. His voice you know, ve- is he's just a veteran. like, it is oh, man. comedy he's, syrup, right? You just want to pour it into your ear. Absolutely. Yeah. He's uniquely equipped to play a straight man authority figure and still be funny in mm. some way. I think that Aykroyd... Alexi and I have talked about him in the past. He's a guy who maybe should never have left SNL and should still be on it. He should be Keenan Thompson 45 (laughs) years in. Like he's so, he is so funny, but he doesn't, he's not a movie guy, you know? I agree with you, but his limitations have recently come to light because I've been watching interviews of um, he and Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson um, Mm. promoting on talk shows the new Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm. 
And that dude, man, you can tell why he's the one that started a vodka company. Yep. He is a fucking salesman. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. throw it like a used car salesman. Just these talk <laughs> wow. shows, he's, it, it, it is, you don't believe a word he's saying. He's there to sell tickets. You know he's got points on the box office. And it's just completely, there's no comedy to it whatsoever. Bill Murray is there to generate the laughs. He was uh, Dan Aykroyd was a pretty like he was a bit of a renegade in his youth, right? Him and Belushi used yeah. to roll around. He was mm. he was he was a wild guy. He was he was a biker and uh, a bit of a like he is a freak. Like Ghostbusters, which he wrote, all comes from his brain because he's obsessed with aliens and ghosts and other dimensions his, and whatnot. I think his granddad was like one of the foremost sort of paranormal investigator mm. authority figures. Yeah. And so this is like a lineage that he is part <laughs> of. He, he managed to marry with comedy. But I do I do screen. love seeing him pop up in any kind of supporting role. You know, you get it less yeah. and less nowadays. He's more just, like you said, Tim, plugging mm. Crystal Head Vodka on yeah. YouTube in a 10-minute video or something. So it's nice to see him pop up in this. And you know what? Speaking of supporting characters, I think we should move on to our Oscars Absolutely. which we like to give out. Um, we like to give out Academy Awards on this show to people that we feel deserve it. Our first Oscar would be for a character actor, and the person that uh, we have decided to bestow this upon is Amy Hill, who plays Sue, the manager of the cafe in this flick. We love Amy Hill. She is an absolute veteran of character actor. Like, if you were to describe a character actor, you'll probably be... She'd be in your top five or six. She's kind of like a go-to person, really, to play, mm. like... Uh, even she doesn't even really have a type because I think she's very versatile, but it's like she can play a stick in the mud. She can play someone that's angry, but highlights for her. This is up there. She's also in a uh, cat in the hat where she said working with Mike Myers was hell. And she also <laughs> said uh, that one of her favorite roles or my favorite role from mine is uh, when she plays one of Frank Costanza's ex-girlfriends mm. in Seinfeld. But yep. I think she's lovely in this in this performance. I think it's like perfectly suited to everything that she can do. I'm, she is. Sorry, you I, go, guy. I was just, I'm on her IMDb right now, and she has never not been working. She is in yeah. like every other TV show. Yeah, and she she has yeah, like she is the embodiment of a. She's got such a familiar face, and mm-hmm, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter like what the definition of her character is around it. It's always totally believable. It is always it, it totally sells. The surround, like, how could you not believe that she runs that cafe and that she doesn't have a personal connection to um, Drew Barrymore's character and sort of like looks out for her? It's um, so true. She was just brilliant. Yeah, I'm I'm totally unfamiliar with her back catalogue, and she looked like vaguely familiar, but I don't know what she's been. She was in the Santa Clarita Diet. Oh shit! Well, there you go. But like even even with that in mind having no context whatsoever you pu- purely see this film like she she juts out mm. at how competent she is at acting wow like it's just so naturalistic and believable and and appear like she's just a very lovable cat she rocks yeah. she, she deserves rocks. this oscar Absolutely. this oscar is all her own and no one could even compete for it Tim- amy hill Head and shoulders above him. That is so beautifully put. And might I say, it gives me no joy to say this, but I would never (laughs) use any of those words to describe Nick Swanson. Oh my god, you got to let it go, Alexi. He's he's not that bad. What did he do to you, man? I know. I don't enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy doing it. 
but I have to say something. To, to Alexi's credit, he does always preface um, sort of yeah. dehumanizing does, Nick Swardson by telling us he doesn't like it. I just, I, before we move on, I just want to go back into Amy Hill's experience working with Mike Myers on Cat in the Hat. Because <laughs> by all accounts, that movie um, could have worked and didn't. No. No, no, no. no <laughs> disagree. No, no. Was was that yeah. because of like <laughs> did Mike Myers try and auteur like I, I no, know it was a, a contractual it was a legally contractual uh project. He had a Sprockets film yeah. in the works based on a character from SNL. Dieter, and, who hosts a TV show called yes. Sprockets set in Berlin. And then he pulled the plug on it during pre-production because he mm-hmm. thought it wasn't up to snuff. He said the script wasn't good enough and he was the writer of the script. Yeah, so. And so the studio said, you owe us a movie and here's the slate of what we have coming up. And I think this is the one he chose. But you can tell that he detests doing it. He hates wearing the horrible prosthetics. And according to Amy Hill, mm-hmm. he had... T- Plastic tunnels like an E.T. built that went from his trailer to the set so yeah. he wouldn't have to interact with anyone on the walk from his trailer to the set. And I'll just be on the defense of Mike Myers because it's a lot of stuff being thrown at one of my golden gods. And he was going through a divorce at the time, which is one of the hardest uh. things someone can go through. And he <laughs> had to wear the cat in the hat suit Every single day, and it would take hours to put it on. He had the air conditioning inside the suit would never worked. He said, and also the suit is made out of human hair, so it's that's quite to me. That's quite an existential what? thing to be trapped in a suit made of like the hair of most likely dead people or something. He's what trapped are you in talking day. about? And so also he had to walk through those tunnels. They built them so they could be air conditioned, so it could cool down between shoots and stuff. And so that's why they had the air tunnels. So Amy Hill, I do love you, but I have to speak on behalf of Mike's emotional state at the time. Human, hold on. The cat in the hat suit is made of human hair. Well, of course. Yeah. What do you think they're going to make it out of? Some synthetic... Uh, you think they're going to... Fucking ki- CGI, <laughs> man. Kill a bunch of cats. We had computers. <laughs> the Matrix came out in 1999. Terminator 2 was like 95. Well, Tim, what the fuck uh, were they doing? Neither of them had an anthropomorphic cat, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the things that you're describing, two of the smoothest CGI creations, the Terminator... That's freaking metal mercury shit. You can't get smoother yeah. than that. Hair is one of the most difficult things to animate. You should watch some documentaries about the making of Monsters, Inc. When did Avatar came, come out? Five years this. after. <laughs> after this. Oh, yeah, this is... Okay, this is 2000. And also, we're talking completely different budgets, you know. You, I don't think Cat in the Hat had the Avatar <laughs> I, budget. My, my, but they're even from it... No, hold on. I'm sorry, Guy, but I must persist on this. Even from a practical effects point of view, you don't have to use fucking human hair to make the suit. We've got other materials. <laughs> there are whole people who stake their careers in film, costume, and material science to solve these problems for Mike Myers. Yeah, and they decided human hair was the one. Yeah, it we wasn't decided people, by Tim. some bozo on the street. Oh, yeah. The pros were in. I'm shook. I'm absolutely shook. Mike Myers does still have to assume a certain amount of personal responsibility for choosing from the slate of possible films, Cat. And I know it's demoralizing to put on the cat costume when you're going through a divorce. <laughs> 
Yeah. But he didn't have a gun to his head. Yeah, he could have picked, I don't know, like wedding crashes or something, you know? He could have picked something else that was coming out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's move on. We've got another Oscar to give out. Alexi, you wanted to take uh, charge of this one? This is a special award that I want to give out. This is a very special award. This is bestowed upon only a few films. Fifty First Dates was among the first films in history to be released on the format known as Blu-ray DVD back on June 20th, 2006, along with the likes of other classic films such as The Terminator, Underworld Evolution, which I believe is the third in the franchise, Hitch, House of Flying Daggers, The Fifth Element, and Triple X, the original movie starring Vin Diesel, as the Bond killer himself, Xander Cage. <laughs> now, we may well laugh at this, giggle at the cinematic fact, but we need to remember the context that this was during the Great Format Wars, yep. where HD DVD was still mm-hmm. a very serious contender. It was a huge threat to my people, the Blu-ray collectors of this world. A little company called Xbox Microsoft... Mm-hmm throwing their weight in behind that particular disc format. And it took many years for this thing to shake out. Blu-ray was uh, far from a front runner when it first came out. God, Tim, i got to tell you, it brings me immense joy to finally be with another historian here on this podcast. (laughs) It's it's nice to see even when, you know, ideologically your visions of, or, you know, opinions Mm -hmm. might not align with respect to 51st States, that when it comes to formatting, you boys yep. are a carbon copy of one another. Yeah, My God, you can't argue with history. Exactly. You know, ideology, we could go back and forth on all day, but at the end of the day, you, you coalesce around the facts of what's happened in the past. <laughs> and this so actually- that's actually that's a bizarre honour mm-hmm. to have for a film, eh? To be one of the, the, force, the first children of Blu-ray. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is extremely cool. That's the why I'm giving the award coolest blu-ray to 51st dates <laughs> and i actually did own this movie since 2008 on blu-ray this is one of my first and it is the format in which i chose to watch this movie on this very auspicious occasion wow that's beautiful i also just want to admit, if you own the blu-ray then i assume you're very familiar with the tagline which feels like it was almost written either by you alexi or for you <laughs> uh which is imagine having to win over the girl of your dreams every friggin day yeah every friggin day I love that freaking tagline, dude. It is beautiful, and it is in, written in a language I beautifully understand. I actually d- don't like it because I think it's um, it's not coming from the voice of Henry Roth because Henry Roth actually enjoys winning her over yeah. every day. This is just some outsider who's like, God, imagine having to win her over every friggin' well, day. Yeah, it sounds like it was um written by. Rob Schneider's Ula, yeah, <laughs> who just who can't believe that Henry's throwing away this life of bachelordom oh, for true love. So Ula canonically did the tagline of this. <laughs> Ula became a copywriter in Hollywood after the events of the movie. So confused by the universe you're constructing on the fly here. I would also just love to give a little segment announcement for a segment that Cameron and I are doing on this mini-series in particular. This is a segment called Covert Operations, where Mm. we talk about the way that Alan Covert operates in this film. I love that. And he is a Sandler regular. He's a a 
absolute stalwart of the Sandler franchise <laughs> at large, the Happy Madison Productions. He actually, him and Tim Hurley, who is one of Sandler's other biggest collaborators, the writer of The Wedding Singer and many classic sketches of Saturday Night Live fame, uh, they are the kind of ghost punch-up writers on this film together. And even throughout filming, they're on set every day doing punch-ups, creating more comedic moments in the actual shooting as well. So hats off to Covert, who also has one of his most recognizable roles as 10 Second Tom, a nickname of mine in high school as well. Ah. Based on <laughs> other factors. Yes. Yeah, we don't need to get into that, that kind of show. I, I just want to speak to Alan Covert because... While I would. That's one of my biggest streams too. You, to speak to him. You've been. Um, yeah. I just want to put that on the record. If you're listening, Alan, <laughs> I would love to. We'd love to speak. I'd love to have a quiet word. No, because <laughs> while you've been railing heavily against Nick Swartzen, and I, I can't remember the uh, release year, but him and Alan Covert, it was a Happy Madison vehicle that Alan Covert led called Grandma's yeah. Boy that I remember mm. watching like year or year <laughs> after of release. Yeah. And thinking was. Hysterically, I can't even fathom <laughs> revisiting this movie for fear of judging myself. Oh boy! But I think I, Alexi and I are about to watch it again for our Patreon um, because yeah. I also similarly thought it was fucking hilarious when I saw it at release time as well, yeah. and I and have like, a feeling that it's not. But accordingly, and also because of my fandom of Santa, like I, I remember him in um, in Big Daddy and stuff. Like I've always mm. had a massive soft spot for yes. Alan Covert. Like and he's handsome, right? He, he is. <laughs> and like not traditionally handsome like Peter Dante, who I think as yes. a child I like but the more he's you hot. learn about him off screen, the more you're like, this guy is a an absolute weapon and just yeah. totally out of control all the time. <laughs> uh, there's there's like a real softness and like, you know, of course Alan Covert's on set every day offering ad libs and stuff. That feels totally mm. in keeping with my perception of who he is as a person. So I I love this segment. It's great to give him some uh some shine. He needs it. Uh, I actually watched uh Drew Barrymore has a talk show now because that's the reality that we're living in. And yeah. um, I heard that Ulu writes on it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on her talk show, she had Sandler on and they did a kind of reboot of Fifty First Dates where they reprised their characters. Whoa. And uh, it's bizarre. I wouldn't oh recommend God, it. But, uh, but Ten Second Tom appears in the sketch as well to do his catchphrase, which is him saying his name. And I was just shocked to see Alan Covert in anything else other than an Adam Sandler movie. Just seeing him pop up on the Drew Barrymore show freaked me out. But uh, <laughs> shout out to Alan Covert. We love your brother. And Alexi yeah. thinks you're handsome. I think he's very, very handsome. Not I'm just a Dante handsome. guy. I'm a Dante guy. Dude, here's what I've learned the last sort of five years or so. People are way more accessible than you think they are. And I don't think it's out of the question that you get Alan Covert on the podcast. God. And not only that, I think you should make it a goal. Okay. All right. Let's fucking do this. I I'm a bit nervous. Covert. Write it down and I want you to start, um, what's it called? Like actualizing, yeah. manifesting. I want you to start manifesting this reality God. for yourself. God, Covert operations could become a whole podcast that I would not <laughs> like to host. I will also say that I had to dive away from the microphone because I was cracking up so much because I've polished off a not insignificant <laughs> amount of whiskey after eating nothing today during this podcast when you come up with the cracking name of the segment, Covert Operations. Well, look, I'm on Alan Covert's Instagram now. I'm going to give him a follow and I'm going to send him a message. What sort of numbers are we looking at? 
14,000 followers. Whoa. He's reading, he's, he's still reading his DMs. Yeah, yeah he's going to be checking that. very accessible yeah. to me. Holy yeah. shit. Cobra. I'll send him a message when we get out of here. Does um, he do selfies and stuff, Cam? Oh, no, no selfies. A lot of photos of his kids and okay. stuff like that. Yeah, he looks like a very wholesome life that God. Alan's living. Handsome and wholesome. <laughs> he's on cameo. He's on cameo. Oh, God. I've just checked. Okay, this this is a level of accessibility that I think uh, could make getting him on the podcast a reality. Wow. Yeah, it's got to be absolutely doable. It's doable. Good lords. Well, well, it's been um, God, I've loved, I've loved delving back into the Sandlerverse, and especially when it feels like we are visitors in someone else's <laughs> self-built mm. fortress. I <laughs> and like, yeah, I just. I, I I love his approach to movie making, even though I don't enjoy all the movies. And he's, you know, mm-hmm. I spend a year using him as a weapon to antagonize myself. I uh, and like he's just such an interesting guy. Like if you think about um, funny people, because we talk about you, yeah. he did the he did the junkets or whatever to promote Uncut Gems and Oscar season. It was like, mm. how good was his thank you speech at the um I can't remember what awards they were. I think it was independent. Uh, that yeah, was like so one of the greatest things I've seen. But yeah. All of that, like, you know, all the stuff he was dealing with and people saying, you know, obviously, why are you not making these movies and you're making these other movies instead? Uh, he addressed in funny people. And I feel like that was the first, yeah. everyone misinterpreted that as a mere culpa for like, I see you seeing me and I'll only make good movies now. And then he went and signed that seven movie deal with Netflix and just like <laughs> shed out all these different <laughs> insane genre parodies. <laughs> You know, I think I think it would be um, uh, tragic to not bring up this little story. But Guy and I saw him live wow. in Los Angeles in the lead up to him releasing a hundred percent fresh, which was his phenomenal comedy so special that he put yeah. out on Netflix Incredible. a couple of years ago. So he was workshopping that material, and we had such a wonderful time seeing that show. We we got like quite close to not exactly front row, but very close tickets yeah. eh, to the stage guy, and we were lapping it up wow. like we thought it was, it was like phenomenal, his- and. Yeah, if memory serves as well, because was that at yeah. Largo? He was performing. I think we saw him we come did. out, we eh? saw- and we like there was a real sliding doors moment where it was like, oh is this the God. moment where we try and introduce ourselves oh. as the two fuckwits who have seen Grown Ups two fifty two times for a podcast? And we thought, you know what? We, no, you know, the universe is better off for all of us to exist separately, doing our thing and not cross contaminate. Rethinking re about that now, I feel like the it was just we interpreted that opportunity incorrectly. Just to say big fan and get a photo would be overwhelming. Like his, he mm-hmm. had us and everyone to be fair enthrall. Like he is yeah. a bona fide movie star. And if you look at the people he populates his movies with, the friends, which speaks to the the character of the guy, but then also. Mm. The other people, the walk-on cameos, the people who want to be involved with his movies. He's got X, man. He's a special guy. Yeah, He is. I think it's... I'll be remiss not to bring it up as we're wrapping things up, but I think the best moment of this movie that kind of lives on is... Adam Sandler's singing voice is so beautiful and so sweet. And when he sings Forgetful Lucy, a song that he, uh, just a wildlife veterinarian who dreams of traveling to Antarctica to look at walruses, has the emotional aptitude to put together this beautiful song and with little jokes in it about how Forgetful Lucy has a nice caboose, which is about mm. her butt and how nice it is. I think it's so sweet, but it is so elevated by... Drew Barrymore's like 
incredible movie star performance of just reacting to this song with just stars and love in her eyes staring at him laughing and all like these right moments and it's just a testament to their chemistry that they build together because it is natural chemistry but it's also hard work the chemistry that they have to put together to make this work and i think that is why this movie lives on for me as one of probably secretly and maybe overtly now one of my favorite films i guess of all time (laughs) wow (laughs) well we all get one i get the wedding singer you get this and i guess these guys get um grown-ups too i don't know maybe you hate it now i don't know know where you stand on it well while we're here might as well what's your top sandler movie tim uh i very boringly i'd probably say uncut gems great movie though yeah great great movie great movie what about you guy I think it's it's Happy Gilmore. It's uh, mm. for the wow. both for the power of the memory and the sort of mm. you know the experience of seeing it for the first time, and then also it's just you know it embody. It's like he's a star on the rise in that he bet on himself mm. and it came off. Wow, much like he would bet on the games that are played in the Uncut Gems universe. He is a problem gambler in that movie. <laughs> that, that was a great connective really bit good. of tissue there, Alexi. So. And uh, listen, guys tried to bring the horses home, but this is your podcast, and I think we've missed a crucial moment of addressing the name of this show, right? Oh, yes, of course, the reboot. So, look, um, we do like to pitch a reboot idea for this movie at the end, and I think the Drew Barrymore show has already rebooted it with its Mm -hmm. five-minute thing that I skipped through and watched 30 seconds of. There are many actual remakes out there. There's two Indian remakes. There is a Japanese remake called 51st Kisses, which was the working title of this movie. And in 2019, there was a Mexican remake as well. I'm imagining a movie, a a sequel of sorts, whereby um, Lucy is entirely recovered through the power of wow. love has entirely recovered from her sort of daily amnesia, but through mm. some rare, you know, they play pretty fast and loose with the medical mm-hmm. backings for the, the prompts in this movie through some Things rare start sticking. Uh, like uh, genetic lineage disorder. Their daughter actually suffers from um, some <gasps> form of amnesia. And so as parents, God. they have to coach their daughter through whatever it is. Finding Ooh, love. That is that is tragic. Yeah, and I would lo- I'd like Judd Apatow to helm it if possible. Mm, I'd love to get Tim Batten the writers' room. <laughs> yeah, Tim Batten. It's too heavy. <laughs> this sounds heartbreaking. Tim Batten, Ulu are writing this one. Couldn't <laughs> handle it. Tim Batten. Well, Tim Bat writes the movie, and Ula writes the tagline, and they're not allowed to talk about the content. <laughs> And obviously, Alan Covert will be there to punch it up on set as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice. God. And oh, that would be great. You might be distracted because he's rather handsome. So, <laughs> I, um, I don't know what the movie is, but simply in the interests of uh, escalation and comedic one-upsmanship, <laughs> there's something called 500 First Dates. Oh, my God. And it's a crossover with 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. And it's yes. a shared universe. 500 Days of First Dates with Summer. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. This is exciting. Maybe yeah. it's um she instead of the it's a different disorder that she has instead of Goldfield's disorder she has multiple personalities and he has to go on five hundred first dates with <laughs> five hundred different characters that Drew Barrymore plays and each time win them over to eventually win her over by the end of the movie. 
Wow, this is too it's much for Jesus a simple Christ. fellow like me. <laughs> no, no. It's Christopher Nolan is now in the room. This is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We really appreciate having a couple of movie heads on finally, you know. Yeah, some rectangle-eyed fellas. <laughs> where can, uh, so where can our listeners catch up with you? On our podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time, which you can find at a website, worstideaofalltime.com. There's a Twitter, which is um, Twiowet Pod. That's correct. Which is the acronym. And, uh, oh, I, you know, if you haven't seen it, why would you? Why would you know who we are? Guy and I got commissioned uh, a few years ago now yeah. by YouTube to make a pilot for a TV-formatted version of our podcast. And we made the pilot. They funded it, and then they saw it, and they went, no more of this. Thank you very much. Pilot rocks, but Tim. So I don't know good. if I've ever told you I love Thank it. Thank you. Guy, I have told you, they, so you know this information. They let us they let us put it online, <laughs> so if you want to just Google um, Worst Idea of All Time Pilot, it's it, I, it's solid. It's like it's, awesome. it's good. I think it's quite yeah, funny. Yeah, fucking rules. I think it was a fun idea. <laughs> well, Okay. <laughs> Have you guys got a fun total reboot sign-off or anything? Have you got a catchphrase at the end of every no, episode? No, no. We have too many catchphrases in our show. It's actually, mm-hmm. we're overloaded, but we're trying to shed a few catchphrases. Yeah. Well, in that case, here's Tim Bat and Guy Montgomery telling you, go get in a car crash so you can experience the best film ever made fresh every day of your life. Beautiful. This is Total beautiful. Reboot. That's beautiful. That was Guy and Tim from The Worst Idea of All Time. And you know what, Alexi? I actually think it was the best idea of all time to get those fellas on. I'll put it up there. I'll put it all the way up there. Love those fellas. Me too. It was so fun. And also, weirdly, the first time all four of us have ever podcasted together as a unit, which That's is very, crazy, right? Very crazy, considering we're all such good buddies. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't heard their podcast, check it out. I assume a lot of you have. There's mm-hmm. a fair bit of crossover um, listener-wise. But if you haven't, please check it out. Follow them on social media. They're both very funny comedians as well. Um, and speaking of people you can follow on social media, <laughs> good grief, you can follow us over there. Of course, you can follow Cameron on Twitter, Instagram, at I am Cameron James. You're on mm-hmm. Facebook as well with a profile. Yeah, I don't really do anything on there or Twitter. Instagram and YouTube are the main yeah. places. Uh, Alexi, you are This Is Alexi on mm-hmm. every format and platform as well. Absolutely, including Letterboxd and, mm-hmm. I believe, PlayStation 4 Gaming Network, which I also don't use at all. <laughs> but um, you can find us all there if you want to chat to us. If you want to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash totalreboot is the link. Five bucks a month will get you bonus episodes. And like we said, we're doing Grandma's Boy on an upcoming one. And we have just talked about our five favorite Adam Sandler SNL sketches of all time. Yeah, we've got a lot of great stuff over there on Patreon. You also get access to the Facebook group, which is an exclusive and very special club where mm-hmm. people talk about flicks and TV and movies and cinema and streaming and webisodes from time to time. We do talk webisodes every now and then. And uh, next week on this podcast, we're closing out the Adam Loves Drew miniseries with a film that neither of us have ever seen before. It is Blended. Yes, and we have no idea how we're going to feel about it yet, so stick around, watch the movie, or don't, and uh, (laughs) hear what what we think about it. We'll see you next week, babies. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.